Hi, you're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you, in some small way, will be blessed and transformed by this message. This is a series which is in four parts, and it's simply called Church. It couldn't have a more simple title. Church. Church is the most globally effective organization that there has ever been. Have you ever thought about church like that? It's everywhere. It's ancient. It's mysterious. And it's right here. Now, we are part of it, and we are in it. And uh, what I want to talk about today for this first part, in a short talk, is the most fundamental part of church the most basic part of what we need to do to understand what church is. And I think it's a very helpful little talk I'm going to give today, particularly at a baptism service, because the two people who you're going to be seeing and witnessing being baptized later, whether they've logically thought through what I'm going to talk about or not, it's something that has happened to them. But let me start by talking about this. Despite ongoing research, which may uncover something else, did you know that a woman is born with all the eggs she will ever carry in her life? Now, I don't mean Cadbury's cream eggs. (laughs) This is just a visual aid, you understand, okay? Um, She's not born with all the Cadbury's cream eggs she may ever carry in her life. She may pop to shops and get more. But do you know what I'm saying? She's born with all the eggs she will ever carry in her life. Don't you think that's amazing? But, but here's the thought. If that's the case, then we also know that for months, your maternal grandmother carried part of you. So your maternal grandmother who carried your mother in her womb, carried part of you. Don't you think that's amazing? It it blows my mind just thinking about that. I think about my maternal grandmother. I can picture it in my mind. And and part of me, some would say the best part of me, uh, she carried within her for months, two generations ago. I think that's uncanny. Now, research is ongoing, but that's what we believe at the moment. Now, that thought is why whenever Joseph, my son, who's the drummer, whenever he goes through a period of misbehaving, which is very, very rare, but whenever he does go through that, I immediately blame my (laughs) mother-in-law. Because it's not his fault. Because all that misbehaviour side of things clearly came from her, right? And um, so I feel able to do that. I mean, that's that's the power of lineage. That's the power of genealogy. That's the power of family. Family is important. Now, let me say this and then clarify something. Family does define us. Family does define us, but it doesn't define everything about us. So some people would say when people are going through trouble or when they've got 
when they've got real big issues in their past, and particularly with their family, when they've got massive health problems, some people might say to them, your family doesn't define you. But we have to be careful, because just the facts of life show us that family does define us. You see, 50% of my DNA comes from my dad. 50% of my DNA comes from my mum. My eye color comes from one of them. My lack of hair comes from somewhere along that family line. In fact, everything physically about me that was inherent in me is defined by my family. So although family doesn't define everything about us, it does define us. Family is important. And we've heard a bit about family already this morning. Now, why am I saying all this? I'm going to get to a point. Have you ever heard someone say this? Maybe a celebrity or... I heard a, a footballer say it recently in an interview. He said, um, I was brought up a Christian, but not one of those born-again ones. And I've heard celebrities say, I'm a Christian, but not one of those born-again ones, right? Now, we know what they mean by that. And I guess if I went around and said, what do you mean by a born-again Christian? And, and I asked you to either write down or draw a little picture of what a born-again Christian looks like, we would have some interesting results. Because there, there are people around who say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born-again Christians. One of those born-again ones. The, the problem we have is that there is no other type. There is no other type of Christian. You see, if you're a Christian, and you know you're a Christian, a Christian, someone who follows Christ, someone who follows Jesus, the promised one, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, someone who follows him, if you are one and you don't define yourself as a born-again Christian, tough, you are whether you like the label or not. Here's the problem we have. Um, a man came to Jesus once. He snuck up on Jesus at nighttime. His name was Nicodemus. He was a very, very clever, very intelligent man, and he had reasons why he needed to go at night and uh, away from people. And he had a conversation with, with Jesus. He had a conversation about genealogy that came into it. Because he would have known, you see, Nicodemus would have known his mom's lineage. Because even to this day, most Jewish denominations, did you know there are denominations within Judaism? There are. Most Jewish denominations trace the fact of whether they're a true Jew via their mother, via the, mother, the maternal line. That's really important to them. And here, this man would have known this. He would have known his mother's lineage all the way back. He was so clever, he would have known that. He would have been able to trip names off his, off his tongue. And he approaches Jesus as a proud Jew waiting for the Messiah and not recognizing the Messiah in front of him. And he comes to Jesus and talks about the kingdom. How do I see the kingdom that the Messiah is going to bring in? Not realizing that at that very moment he is looking at the king, right? And Jesus, after having a bit of a conversation with him, 
about genealogy, Jesus says this little phrase here, you should not be surprised at me saying to you, you must be born again. He looks at Nicodemus, who's about there, and he says, don't be surprised, Nicodemus, at me saying to you, you must be born again. So if you're a Christian and you know you're a Christian, what are you? Born again. And, and then Nicodemus hears this message. And what does he do about it? Well, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we do know that wrapped around Jesus is an interesting thought. And this is the thought. Although your family, your mom and your dad, and if you're clever enough like Nicodemus to have traced your genealogy, although that defines you in some way, the most important thing about you is not defined by your family. Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're a good guy. You live well. You live righteously. You know lots of stuff. You've studied the Old Testament law and the prophets. You can recite them. You are so good, Nicodemus, and you're proud of your lineage. And that's good. But the most important thing about you, Nicodemus, is not defined by any of that. You think by being born a Jew is vital. I tell you, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. The family that you think is important for the matter of having peace with God, for the matter of having a relationship with God, the thing that you think is important to you for being able to converse with God, to pray to God, isn't important at all. For all of that to be so, you need to be born again. That's a powerful thought. Because lots of us are proud of our heritage. And that pulls the rug from underneath that when it comes to the most important thing in our life, my relationship with God. Lots of people here are ashamed of their heritage because of so many reasons. Maybe they had a, an awful father or an awful mother. Maybe they don't know who their father or mother are. And Jesus pulls the rug from underneath their excuses. And says, when it comes to the most important thing in your life, having peace with God, having a relationship with the most important person in the universe, it's okay. That doesn't matter. You must be born again. Is that a powerful thought? You see, so behind this little phrase that so often trips off the tongue, and often in a funny way, born again Christian. Are you born again? Yeah, I've been born again. Are you born again Christian? Oh, those born again, they're a bit weird, those born again Christians. They're a bit weird. Behind that little phrase, born again, is the most powerful concept of Christianity. That our spirit can be reborn into the family of Jesus Christ. 
And once that happens, our relationship with God begins anew. But you know what happens when you're born again? You don't just have a new godly parent. You have a new family. And it's all over the world. It's everywhere. It's called church. When you are born again, acknowledging that Jesus is your new parent, you immediately have a new family. And we're going to talk more about that next week and what that really means. But here's something that's important in being born again. ABC. What does it mean to be born again? One, you you have to accept that you lack something. There may be people here this morning, you think, I'm a Christian, but I don't know whether I'm a born again Christian. There may be guests or visitors here, and you think, I want what some of these people have got. Or I thought I already had it, but I, I, I have no concept of being born again. Well, let me explain. You have to accept that you lack something without God. When you look at the purpose and meaning of your life, the purpose and meaning of life, when you think after death and you think what is going on there, what, what's happening, all the answers are in Jesus. You have to accept that you lack something. Two, B, you have to believe. What, I have to believe all the details about Jesus? No, no, no. You have to believe that God did something about your lack of purpose, your wrongdoings, your shame, your guilt, your meaninglessness. You have to believe that God did something about it, and what he did was clothe himself in flesh and come as Jesus. Lived to show you how to live. Died to save you from all the consequences of wrong. And rose again so that you could live in power to be able to live a new life. And see, you have to be willing to commit. To say, Jesus, I'm fallible, I'm weak. But I'm going to commit to doing my best to following you. That's what two people are going to do later on. That's what they're going to say. A, B, C. I accept my lack. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe who you are and I give myself to you and I commit to doing my best to follow you. A, B, C. Let's close our eyes just for two minutes. I haven't finished talking. We're going to open our eyes shortly. But do you know there may be people here I'm sure there are. And you look at your life and there are great periods, great swathes of your life where you think, hey, it's all going well. I've got everything together. But right now in this moment, when you look deeper, you know there is a lack. There is a lack of peace. There is a lack of purpose. There's a lack of passion about your life what what am i here really for maybe your life is full of shame from 
previous sins, wrongdoings, actions you've done, behaviors you've engaged in, and you can't escape the shame or the guilt. Maybe your life is full of hatred or vengeance. Maybe it's full of of something that you just can't escape. Well, in this moment right now, I just want to invite you to consider this. That this morning you can be born again. What, this morning? Yes, this morning you can be born again. Maybe by praying a prayer like this and then acting on that prayer. So why doesn't everyone in the building just repeat after me? Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again for me. Thank you for inviting me to join your family. Inviting me towards peace. Towards purpose. Towards passion. I'm sorry for the wrongs I've done. Thank you for forgiving me. I embrace your forgiveness. Now I give myself to you as you gave yourself for me. Accept me into your family and help me to follow you every day. Just keep your eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer in your heart and you meant it sincerely, then with every eye closed in this place, just me looking around and one person at the back. Would you just pop your hand straight in the air if you just prayed it and meant it? Thank you. One, two, three, four. You can pop your hands down. Five. Any, anyone else? Just ten more seconds. We want to pray for you. Thank you. You can pop your hand down. Thank you. I don't want to miss you out when we pray for you. Anyone else? If you popped your hand in the air, then right at the end of the service, when people are mixing and mingling around, there'll be lots of chatter at the end of this service. I want you to go to the coffee area, grab someone who's wearing a a lanyard. It'll say ministry team on it. Just grab them and say this line, I prayed that prayer. They'll spend five minutes with you. They just want to pray for you and help you in your next step on the journey. If you prayed that prayer and meant it sincerely, I say this. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Okay, let's open our eyes. Now, just a little bit more, because in every talk that I'm going to give this series, there may well be a moment like that where I invite people to join Jesus' family. But then, in every little story, there's always a challenge for us. For those of us who are regular new lifers, there is a challenge. And it comes in this thought of being born again. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine we live in a world where we still meet like this, but we're incredibly persecuted. Now, I don't mean persecuted in the way that some of you think 
you're persecuted because you stub your toe on the way to church or something. I don't mean that level of persecution. I mean like really badly persecuted. I mean running for your life persecuted because you follow Jesus. It's difficult for us to even imagine that, but let's, let's imagine that's the case. Here we are, this group of people, 200 of us here, and, and we're persecuted. Now, imagine also that we knew the head of the persecution gang, the person who has been tasked with chasing us down because we worship Jesus. Can you imagine this? You know the head of that gang, and he's a very clever, intelligent person. He can seek you out. Now, also imagine that the head of that gang endorsed the murder of one of our church members. I know I'm asking you to imagine horrible things, but I'm talking to you, local church now. Visitors, you can ignore this bit, right? Imagine the head of this gang endorsed the murder of one of our church members. It's a horrible thought, right? And that he's hunting the rest of us down. And then all goes quiet for a short period. Maybe a week. And then you hear on Twitter, the word spreads. There is a rumor that the head of the persecution gang, the murderer endorser, has become a Christian. It's just a rumor. It's just a rumor. That the head of the persecution gang has become a Christian. We're not sure, but there's a rumor around there. And then imagine, you go to bed one night, and you have a dream. And in the dream, it's a bit of the, one of those funny dreams, but you think it's a dream that God might be speaking to you in. The phrase comes, 13 Straight Street. An address comes to you. And then the picture of the head of the persecution gang comes to you. And you wake up in the morning and you think, God's told me the address of where the head of the gang lives. The guy who endorsed the murder of one of our number. The guy who's been persecuted. What do you do with that information? What do you do with that information? Well, that story is in the Bible. It's in the book of Acts. There's a man called Ananias. He was a member of a church. He went to sleep one night, and he had that information. And the head of the persecution gang was a guy called Saul. And this is what Ananias did about it. He went round to Saul's house, and he knocked on the door. And a servant opened the door, and Ananias barged his way in. And he laid his hands on Saul. I shook him roughly by the neck and beat him up. Is that what he did? No, this is what the Bible says he did. Ananias went to the house. When he arrived, he placed his hands on Saul and said, Come on, loud. And said, Ananias went to the house when he arrived at the house of the head persecutor, the person who had endorsed murders of his own close friends. And he placed his hands on him 
and said, Now this is what being born again means. Church, church. If you're in Jesus' family, you have brothers and sisters all around the world. And of course their family in some way defines them. And of course their upbringing in some way defines them. And of course their past behavior in some way defines them. But what it doesn't change this, that if they have met and decided to follow Jesus, they are your brother or sister. And that overrides everything else. So for anyone who thought the word born again, the phrase born again, was just a light throwaway phrase. It can change everything about how you view other people. Now let's close our eyes one more time. Lord Jesus, I just pray for us as a church. Thank you that we do our best to follow you. Thank you that you've embraced and accepted us into your family. Thank you for loving on us so much. We do our best to love you back. But I pray now just upon us as regular new lifers. Help us embrace the challenge of this little phrase, being born again. But it, it can change and should change, Lord, the way we see each other. You have given us a new family. Help us love that family. Help us trust each other. Help us to release each other. Help us to forgive each other. Help us to support each other. In your name. Thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire. To find out more, do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk or why not pay us a visit? We'd love to see you.